0: Hello, and welcome to the Green Leads Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. Welcome back after a few weeks off. I'm sorry we missed a few weeks. I actually got COVID before Thanksgiving, and then my son got it. We are both completely fine. We were fine throughout it all, but we had to quarantine. And of course, you know, we couldn't see anyone else, and then it's really hard to get work done. But I had some interviews recorded that I'm really excited to get to you now. So we have the next few weeks of interviews already set up. They're queued in. We're not going to miss anything. So I'm excited to jump back in. Um, before we jump in, we have a new Facebook group. If you want to join it, talk about plant-based eating, talk about sports nutrition. It it will be in the link below, so you can go ahead and join that. And let's jump into what today's episode is about. So today I have. Dr. Kenza Gunter, who's a clinical and sports psychologist in Atlanta, where she provides individual counseling, mental skills training, and consultation services to athletes. She's committed to providing education and humanizing conversations about mental and emotional health, particularly in the world of sport and high performance and within African American communities. And we talked a lot about just mental health and what it means to feel like you're failing or feel sad or just feel your emotions in general. Uh, Dr. Gunter previously served as the president of the Association for Applied Sports Psychology, and she currently serves on the board of directors for Little League International and is a member of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee's External Mental Health Task Force. Sorry, that was a mouthful, but she's very knowledgeable. We talk so much about different things like what it means to even think about sports psychology how do psychological factors play into sport um, do are athletes as open to mental health discussions as they are to other things like talking about their training anxiety before races or before events the idea of perfectionism how athletes can balance the idea of wanting to win but also not beating themselves up when they don't. So things like that. It was a really, really interesting conversation. It made me think a lot about my mental health in sport and outside of sport. So I'm excited for you to listen to it. And let's jump into that.
1: Hi, Dr. Gunter. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Natalie. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm excited to talk to you today.
0: I'm really excited to talk to you because I'm really fascinated by the idea of sports psychology. I said in an email to you, I'm a recreational marathon runner, and I work with a lot of recreational runners. And I feel like we talk so much about training and even nutrition is becoming more popular of a topic. Mm -hmm. But I feel like sports psychology is not really talked
1: about as much. Do Do you kind of get that feeling as well? Yeah, so I think the landscape is changing. I think over the last few years, given the many things that have happened in the world, I think as a collective, we're more attuned to what's happening with our mental health, which then kind of as a byproduct makes us think about, well, what's going on with my mental performance, right? So not just in sport, but like in life, how am I taking care of myself? How am I proactively engaging in behaviors? that enhance my mental fitness, if you will. And so I agree. It's it's historically not been talked about as openly, but I do think those tides are shifting and people are realizing if I'm not thinking about the mental aspect of my performance, then I'm not truly engaging in complete and holistic training.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been running for a long time and I think that it was only recently that I started thinking about, okay, this isn't just how I train my muscles. Mm -hmm. It's really have to, you have to train your mind as well. So how do, how do psychological factors play into sport and performance?
1: I mean, I think there's a bi-directional relationship, right? So the way that we feel and, and how healthy we feel in general impacts how we show up and how we perform when we exercise and when we're in sport. I think similarly, if we are regularly engaging, engaging in sport, competitive or recreational, that can impact our mood, right? So there's definitely this bi-directional situation where one impacts the other. And I think when we think through kind of what do I then do to help build my mental performance or my mental fitness, there are a lot of skills that we can talk about there. So certainly that's that's certainly something that has a lot of research behind it, a lot of theory behind it, and it can be really helpful to think through.
0: It's interesting because (laughs) I always think if I'm not in a great mood, I should go exercise and that helps, but I almost thought about it as a physiological thing. Like it produces hormones that make me feel better, but Mm -hmm. I never really thought about it from a mental health perspective as well.
1: Yeah, it also produces endorphins and and chemicals in the brain that can induce feelings of happiness. I mean, we think about that runner's high that a lot of runners describe that that it's a physical physiological effect, but it can have impacts on how you feel in terms of your mood, right? Feeling confident, feeling motivated, feeling good, feeling happy. Um Those are some of the benefits that come from physical activity. But again, like you said, we don't think about it as like mental effects. We think about it as all physical, but the mind and body is connected. And so what's good for the body generally is also good for the mind. We just historically have not intentionally thought about it in that way.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. And I I work with a lot of athletes that, They'll they'll kind of do whatever they need to do to get their competitive edge. A lot of times with me they'll say, "Just tell me what to eat and I'll do it." And yeah. it's it's kind of one of the reasons I actually like working with athletes is because they're very motivated to change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, do you find they're as open to mental health discussions?
1: Yeah, so I think they're opening up more. But historically, we haven't talked a lot about mental health at the intersection of sport. Like it's been a taboo topic in our society. And that's also how it's been in sport as well, right? We we and I think some of it comes from the fact that we can't see it. Right. Like I can see a bruise. I can see the the lab work that shows that I might need to shift my nutrition in a certain way. But we can't see when our our heart is bruised or we can't see when there's something going on with us emotionally to have that tangible evidence to suggest what do I specifically need to do to improve in this area. Right. And so I think that's one thing. I think the other thing is that historically in our society, when you say anything about mental health, we have historically thought about mental illness. Like we have used the terms interchangeably. And what we're understanding now is that mental health is a continuum. It does include illness and there are diagnosable conditions and there's treatment options available to help those who are trying to manage those. But there's also this entire element of wellness. And so thinking proactively in the same way that people work out, they focus on their nutrition, they drink water, they sleep. What can I do to help boost my mental fitness? Meditation, goal setting, how can I engage in positive self-talk strategies? visualization, those are some of the specific skills and techniques that one can practice to proactively enhance their mental fitness. And we haven't framed mental health in that way before. But again, I think because of a number of factors, that's shifting. So now people are more aware of, oh, I don't have to wait until there's something wrong with my mental health in order to work on proactively enhancing
0: I would also think there's probably some component of I'm quote unquote strong, so I don't need help with this. Maybe I don't feel great today, but I'll feel better tomorrow. I personally, I was born in the 80s. My parents are boomers. You know, uh-huh. they're, of the, they're of the generation of suck it up.
1: <laughs> so yeah, it's not I mean, something that was
0: talked about. with And me. I think that's
1: what that's a part of what contributed to the stigma, particularly in sport, right? There was this association that if you talked about anything mental or emotional, you were weak. Or you couldn't handle it right and there were those mantras that existed within the world of sports suck it up no pain no gain right like that that communicate this message of you're not one you're not supposed to have issues and two if you do work it out but the interesting thing is that was only true as it relates to mental and emotional health because that suck it up didn't necessarily apply broadly right we would we would encourage people to do things to take care of themselves physically we just never historically included our mental health in that equation. And, and I'm very excited about the fact that we are now and think that this creates an opportunity for us to really engage in kind of total wellness and health for ourselves. That includes what happens above the shoulders as well, right? If you're not training what's above your shoulders, you're missing out on one of the biggest things that can help you in elevating your performance, not only in your sport, but also in life.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you tear your ACL, You're going to a doctor because you know something's wrong. And like you said, you don't always know because you can't see it. Maybe you can't recognize that you're feeling it. So how do athletes end up working with someone like you?
1: Yeah, I think it comes from... Um, a couple of different things. I think now there are more athletes who are being exposed to the mental side of sport and mental performance earlier in their career. So we have sports psychologists who are on college campuses. There are more sports psychologists and mental performance consultants that are in private practice. And so people are becoming more aware of kind of what the field is and how it can apply to my performance. I think the other really big marketing tool that we've had is athletes themselves. Right, Elite level athletes talking about some of the strategies that they use to help prepare themselves for competition, to help themselves stay motivated in competition and to deal with setbacks and adversity that happens as a natural part of sport. We've heard athletes talk about meditation and goal setting and how they have hobbies that exist outside of their sport, which allows them to be more engaged when they're in their sport. So we're hearing those who are extremely successful talk about these mental strategies, which I think gives us as the general public more permission to think through, how can I integrate those skills into my life as well?
0: And I want to talk about something that I'm sure comes up with a lot of athletes, which is anxiety. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I, I think most people probably struggle with anxiety. I run races, I'll run marathons, and mm-hmm. I get anxious before every single one, even though I've done it a million times. So mm-hmm. how do you work with athletes in terms of f- helping them deal with anxiety before
1: competition or just I guess, in life in general. Yeah, I think one thing we have to do is kind of normalize a full range of emotions. I think in our society, as we think through, again, historically how we've thought about and talked about mental health, as we think about that in relation to emotions, there are some emotions that we readily accept and others that we treat as though they're bad, right? And there's no such thing as good or bad emotions. The the goal is for us to develop a relationship with our emotions that allows us to understand what's happening. So then we can identify what I need in order to to move through it and get back to a kind of a baseline of functioning. I think anxiety, if we think about it in terms of performance, anxiety and sport is very similar. It's a signal. When you feel that feeling, it's a signal that's telling you something. Your body is telling you something. Now, maybe it's telling you that you're invested. And so you're now, because you're invested, you want to do well, and maybe your thoughts are nervous that you're not going to do well, like that can generate some of those feelings. Maybe it's just the environment of competition. It's you versus other people. The weather might be impacting how you feel. There are a lot of things that can impact your feeling of either certainty or doubt about your ability to do something, right? So I think what, what is important is for us to understand when we feel those feelings that we tend to label as anxiety what is that why am i feeling it are there thoughts associated with it in this moment and what do i need to do to kind of bring myself back down in order to to face the task that's before me right and so what that looks like for different people is going to be different there's no one strategy that i could say to say if you do this it will decrease any feelings of anxiety you have prior to a race but what i can say is When you feel that it's important for you to ask yourself, what's going on here? Like, what am I worried about? What am I thinking about in this moment? Am I concerned I didn't train enough? Am I concerned that I'm not going to do well, right? Am I just excited, right? Because the physiological feeling of anxiety and excitement is very similar. The difference is how we perceive the situation. So it's really being more curious about the feeling rather than judging it.
0: It's interesting because I feel like I've talked to therapists before and when they ask these questions, like you just asked, sometimes my answer is, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know why I'm feeling this. So do you think that there is ways for people to pinpoint their feelings? Maybe for some people, it's writing things down or talking to someone else? Is is there something other than
1: kind of being in your own head that helps navigate those feelings? Yeah, I think one it's important to think through these things before you're in the moment of feeling it, right? So I would say try to cultivate a habit of becoming more aware of your feelings just in general, not just when you're pre- preparing for a race, but just ask yourself, check in, how am I feeling right now? What's going on? So that you can start to label feelings. We don't... I, <laughs> This is something that I've talked about recently. I I was talking to a group of of youth sport coaches and they're talking about trying to help their kids, right, manage their emotions. And I asked the room, I said, how many of you ever had a class about emotions, about how to name them, how to recognize them, how to understand what it feels like in your body? And nobody had had that class. Right. I then asked how many of you have had a class about self-care? and how to take care of yourself when you are in a moment of feeling either dysregulated or you just you just need to feel differently, right? Like who has had a class on that? So I think to your point, in the moment of feeling it, it's gonna be overwhelming. But if you try to cultivate a, a habit of checking in with yourself to become more aware of your feelings, I encourage people to look up feeling charts online so you can expand your vocabulary as it relates to naming emotions and trying to become, again, more curious about how do these feelings sit in me? When I feel happy, what does that feel like? When I feel sad, what does that feel like, right? Does it manifest physically? Does it manifest in my thoughts? Do I feel it in my stomach? Do I disconnect from others, right? And similarly, when I'm feeling good, what does that look like? Just trying to explore for yourself the relationship between your thoughts, your feelings and your behaviors. And I think that can equip you so that when you're in the moment, you'll have a clearer, hopefully have a clearer understanding of maybe what's happening so you can identify what might be helpful.
0: Yeah, I think also as a side note, I, I have a one-year-old son. And one of the things my husband and I have talked about a lot is that, hit, I mean, he he's also in his late 30s, so he was born in the 80s. And we talk a lot about how men were raised to not feel their feelings. Right. So we're kind of trying to make sure that our son is not raised that way. And I think it's interesting because there's books now for babies and he's one yes. that go talk through their feelings, which I don't know,
1: maybe that existed when we were younger, but I don't, I don't but remember it. Yeah. And I, I don't, I don't think it existed as readily as, as it might exist now, but I also will go back to your point when in terms of how do you increase that awareness? I do think some of the things that you mentioned could also be helpful. Journaling, very helpful. Talking to people, very helpful. Um, You know, sometimes the people around us are better observers of our behavior than we are. So sometimes it's asking like, hey, when? how do you know when I'm in a good mood? How do you know when I'm in a bad mood? Because they can tell you how you behave differently. And that may be information that you can also use to gain a greater level of self-awareness about how you show up in different emotional states. How does the
0: idea of perfectionism, which I know is a lot of athletes, they want to be they want to perform at the highest level that they can. How does that play into their mental health? Is it helpful or harmful to feel those things? You know, I, I think
1: so My the, the first thing that comes to my mind, and this is such a therapist answer is it depends, right? Because there's, there's, there's something that's called adaptive kind of perfectionism. And then there's a the concept of maladaptive perfectionism. So, right. All things in moderation, certainly, um, if a person's uh, perfectionist tendencies lead them to be detailed-oriented, focused, help them with discipline, help them in maintaining routines that are kind of appropriate routines and and don't interfere with other areas of their life and don't create mental or psychological distress, then that can be helpful, right? Like that that desire to be um, that desire to perform exceptionally well, right, can be a helpful thing. If it crosses over to the point where it becomes somewhat of an obsession and this idea that the only option is perfection and you don't allow flexibility um, for the very real ups and downs that happen in sport and and in performing, or if you have, if, if you come to a point where you connect your identity to your performance, such that if you're not perfect in your performance, you start to feel negative and and have feelings of inadequacy about yourself, that can become really problematic, right? And so, again, I think it's a very fine line with how does that perfectionist tendency disrupt how you see yourself, disrupt how you show up in life, and does it become something that's more intrusive than motivating, right? What I encourage athletes to think about instead of perfection is excellence. Because some of the other things that happen with perfection is perfection tends to have us focused on what we did not accomplish, what we have not done, and it has us fearing failure, right? It also has us comparing ourselves to others, which is usually not a helpful thing. But excellence is something that we can all attain. I can strive to be excellent um, and work to do the best that I can and work to achieve my personal PRs and my personal records without feeling this need to be perfect where nothing else is an option. Right. And so I think that's a subtle difference. But again, I encourage excellence over perfection because excellence has you focused on what you're accomplishing, what you're capable of. And it focuses on progress and growth as opposed to a fear of failure, which is usually the root of perfectionism.
0: And failure doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing, I would
1: think. It's not a bad bad (laughs) thing at all. Right. It's it's, again, another opportunity to learn. Right. There's a quote that says, if you failed, well, you've learned one way not to do it. Right. So now try it again and keep doing it. But we learn a lot from failure. We learn a lot from our mistakes. Um, but the idea that you're going to go through life and never not accomplish a task you set out to accomplish is just unrealistic because that's really what failure is. It just means you didn't accomplish the task in this moment. It doesn't mean you'll never accomplish it. Right. And it doesn't mean that there are other tasks in other areas of your life that you haven't accomplished. Right. So I think we have to, again, Re uh, redefine our relationship with failure, right? It's not a terrible thing. It's a learning opportunity. And if we learn from it, it can lead to more progress and growth. But if- no, any- point, Wait, I was I'm saying no, it's not so good in the moment. No, <laughs> I don't know. Like I'll, I'll own. It may not feel good in the moment, um, but it doesn't have to be a permanent state. That
0: was exactly what I was going to ask. Is, is it okay to feel sad or to feel- yeah. Uh, whatever uh, other emotion you feel because maybe you set out for a PR or you wanted to win whatever sport you're in or you wanted to, you know, set a personal record, whatever it is. Is it OK to not feel great because that
1: didn't happen? Yes, it is 100 percent OK to feel great. And and I would expect that somebody who is invested in putting in time and energy and effort to reach a goal and they don't reach it, I would expect them to feel frustrated or disappointed or any number of emotions about not accomplishing that task again the goal is to feel that right and then to identify what is it that i need to do in order to give myself a chance to meet my goal the next time right so it's like acknowledge that feeling and then keep going right and and i think again i certainly don't want to suggest that we need to walk through the world with rose colored glasses and only have positive emotions feel what you feel i think that's a part of what allows us to be healthier In terms of our our mental health Um, and it also allows us to really make the adjustments that might be necessary to help increase our capacity to reach our goal the next time right you can learn from those disappointments you can learn from those failures now the learning might not happen the day you don't get the pr the learning might not happen until a couple of days later but there's an opportunity there for you to learn adjust and keep moving forward
0: what about mental toughness this is a term that gets thrown around a lot especially I keep bringing up runners because I work with a lot of runners who run marathons with long distances, talk about mental toughness. Mm -hmm. What exactly does that mean? And how do you train yourself to have mental toughness?
1: I think people use that term in a lot of different ways and they use it to mean a lot of different things. I think there's, there um, are different camps that feel differently about the term because the suggest mental toughness means on the other hand, there's mental weakness. Right. And so I think a term that might be more, Um, neutral and also more helpful is a term of like mental fitness, right? Or mental wellness, right? Because when we think about our physical training, we don't necessarily think of it in terms of, do you have physical toughness? If not, you're physically weak. We think about how physically fit you are to do the task at hand, right? And so I think that is a better way to think about it from a mental standpoint as well. Um, Mental toughness, by definition, could mean your capacity to endure and, and manage. The training demands, the competition demands of your sport, right? Your ability to have discipline to do it, to endure it when it's tough, and to to structure it in a way that helps your performance, right? But again, that tough versus weak dichotomy can be really a fine line. So I, I encourage folks in the same way that I talk about excellence versus perfection, think about fitness. What do you need in order to be mentally fit in order to do this task? Like what, what is helpful for you? Is it being relaxed? So maybe you need to practice meditation, engage in a meditation practice prior to your running to help you foster the ability to better be relaxed and be present focused, right? Do you need to set goals? Does it help you to set goals and accomplish them and check them off your list? Does that boost your confidence and motivation? If so, well, let's set some short-term goals as you're working towards a competition. Um, Is it self-talk, right? Is your inner critic, the only voice you hear will less engage in some strategies that help you develop your inner coach or your inner advocate so that you can talk to yourself in a way that's more encouraging and motivating and beneficial to your training as opposed to something that's tearing you down. Right. So I think that's that's what we think about immensely mental fitness from a mental standpoint. What do you need to give yourself the best chance to compete and how do we identify the skills that we can help you develop in order to do that?
0: it's funny because it sounds so simple but for whatever reason i've never really thought about the fact that what i do outside of the run actually impacts the run which it sounds so kind of stupid when i say it but really thinking about the fact that you could meditate before and then that can maybe push you through when you're not feeling like you want to go on anymore i always thought it was just in the moment I have to talk to myself and tell myself I can do this, but I guess it's basically your all around wellness. But here's
1: the thing. You don't not physically train, get to the race and say, well, in the moment, I just have to push through, right? What you do is you create an entire physical training regimen that gets you trained, conditioned and positioned to push through when you need to, right? So it's it's fascinating how for, for our physical training, we think about what we're doing outside of the run at all times. What am I eating? What am I drinking? How much sleep am I getting? What equipment am I using? What shoes do I have? What what gear am I wearing? Like we think about what we're doing outside of the run at all times when we think about it physically. The same thing is true when we think about our mental performance. What are you doing outside of the moment to develop your mental skills, to increase your mental fitness so that you can pull on that in the moment when you need it, right? Like it's the same philosophy. Yeah, that makes so much sense when you put it that way. And
0: realistically, you should be working on your mental fitness, I would say
1: all the time, all right? Done. All the time, right? <laughs> again, you don't have to wait until something feels wrong or, or um, out, out of sorts in order for you to start working on it. So again, it could be, waking up and expressing what you're grateful for, a gratitude practice. It can be um, meditation, mindfulness. Again, it can be a lot of strategies that don't take a lot of time that allow you to develop and increase your mental fitness, right? Again, it can be short-term goals, long-term goals, imagery and visualization. All of those things are, I, I keep saying some of the same skills because these are some of the most common skills that are used by performers and athletes in order to help increase the mental side of their performance.
0: I will admit I I I I I'm a dietitian. I consider uh-huh. myself a quote unquote healthy person, but I've really thought about it from physical and nutrition and I have probably been neglecting this mental health aspect, which is why I wanted to talk to you and because I'm sure that there's so many other athletes who do as well. They just haven't really and maybe it's 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 becoming more talked about in general, not just for athletes, but yeah, this is just kind of like coming full circle to like the first question I asked you about this.
1: Yeah. And I really think what people do is they don't pay attention to what's happening with them mentally and emotionally until they feel bad. Right. So if, if I, you could tell me about the negative thoughts that you may have prior to a race, you can tell me about the self-talk that you use in a race. You mentioned it earlier. You can do this. You can do that self-talk. You've just never framed it as a mental strategy that you're using for your performance, right? So I think in a lot of ways, we either are very aware of what's happening with ourselves mentally and emotionally, we just don't intentionally name it. And there may be ways in which we already integrate mental skills into what we do. Again, we just haven't intentionally named it. And so a part of the awareness includes naming it so that I recognize as I am working on my physical health, my social health, my spiritual health, I can also work on my mental and emotional health, right? And and do it and be more intentional about that process.
0: This has been just a totally fascinating and enlightening conversation. And I feel like I have so much to take away from this. I actually feel more motivated just for my day of work now, which I think is just having the mental health in mind just helps with everything. So
1: I want people to find more about you. Where can they find you? So um, the easiest place to find me would probably be on Twitter. Twitter, um, while it still exists, at <laughs> 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 Dr. Kenza D R K E N S A. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn. If you type in my name, you'll find me there. And I do have a website. That's w dot That's d r k e n s a. Um, dot com. And so those are the ways that folks can find me. But again, I, you know, I would just say we all have mental health. Every single one of us. Um, and, and it's important for us to think about how can you proactively nourish your mental health? How can you, how can you feed your mind if you will? And there are things that we can do small things. It doesn't have to be a big, huge shift in the way we move, but just small things to nourish your mind so that, that your mental fitness can grow and evolve in the same way that we take care of other areas of our life and other areas of our fitness.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. And I'm going to put all the links to your stuff in the description below. So thanks thanks again. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Natalie Rizzo. And if you want to learn more from me, follow me on social media at Greenleets or visit my website at greenleets.com.